Welcome and thank you for joining us for this podcast brought to you by the American Heart Association. This podcast is part of a series focused on sharing information with healthcare providers who are caring for patients during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Dr. Jonathan Newman, the Eugene Brunwald Assistant Professor of Medicine and Cardiology at the Leon H. Charney Division of Cardiology and the Center for the Prevention of Cardiovascular Disease at New York University Grossman School of Medicine. I'm joined by my colleague, Dr. Lishan Chang from Brigham and Women's Hospital and Associate Professor and Endocrinologist. Through this podcast, we will be discussing and you will get information on the following power bites in this podcast. COVID-19 is a high-risk, rapidly evolving medical crisis. For you to know, COVID-19 symptoms include fever in a high percentage, 80 to 90% of, of individuals, a cough in 50 to 80% of people, fatigue, loss of appetite, and shortness of breath are also very common. More severe symptoms of COVID-19 that should lead you to seek medical care include gasping for air, having blue colored lips or face, severe or constant chest pain or pressure, or constant dizziness or lightheadedness. As we will review in this podcast, Patients with diabetes with or without known heart disease are at increased risk of severe COVID-19 or complications from COVID-19. And many patients with diabetes take medications to control their blood pressure and cholesterol. These medications, by and large, should be continued during COVID-19. However, if you have COVID-19 or symptoms of COVID-19, you may need to stop or reduce the dose of some of your diabetes medications. And it's very important that you discuss this with your doctor or your healthcare provider. Hi, welcome to this podcast on diabetes, cardiovascular risks, and uh, COVID-19. I'm joined here today by my colleague, uh, Dr. Li Xin Chang from Brigham and Women's Hospital. Uh, Li Xin. Hi, my name is Li Xin Chang. I'm an associate physician at Brigham and Women's Hospital in the Division of Endocrinology and Diabetes, and I'm an instructor of medicine at Harvard Medical School as well. Terrific. Um, it's a pleasure to be here with you today. And um, uh, Dr. Chang and I are going to discuss some of the uh, relevant issues about COVID-19 and cardiovascular risks for patients with diabetes. And uh, there's a lot for us to cover, so why don't we jump right in? So, Dr. Neiman, maybe I'll start by asking you, are patients with diabetes more likely to be hospitalized with COVID-19? So that's a, um, a great question. I think the data we have from this rapidly Uh, evolving situations suggest that um, there are almost overlapping pandemics or burdens of disease in that patients or individuals with high blood pressure who are overweight or obese are over 65 years of age uh, with diabetes or or heart disease are are common risk factors that are present among people hospitalized uh, with COVID-19. So uh, this this early data in the US and in other countries suggests that diabetes is one of the common risk factors for a severe health out of COVID-19, broadly defined as needing to be in the hospital or to be in the intensive care unit or, or worse, you know, needing more intensive care or even even dying from COVID-19. 
And Dr. Newman, what other conditions or risk factors are associated with COVID-19? So touched on this a little bit, but, you know, a lot of the other, what we think of as traditional risk factors for heart disease, such as um, high blood pressure, obesity, prior heart disease have really in, in multiple populations and older, older age, being over age 65 to 70, seem to be the populations that are most at risk for significant COVID-19 illness. Um, needing to be hospitalized or receive more intensive care uh, with COVID-19. And focusing specifically on patients with diabetes, do we know why patients with diabetes are more likely to be sick or at risk of more severe illness with COVID-19? Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting question. Um, and we don't, we don't yet know exactly why. Um, we certainly know that there is overlapping pathology between the sort of twin pandemics of diabetes and COVID-19, that patients with diabetes who have poorly controlled blood glucose may be more susceptible to infections, or if they have infections, they may tend to have more complications, more severe infections if they do get an, an infection to begin with. And we know that patients with diabetes um, depending on severity and, and duration of their diabetes, uh, can be relatively immunosuppressed in a way um, and have greater amounts of greater markers of inflammation or systemic inflammatory responses, um, along with increased levels of coagulation or blood clotting that may, may be more of a background or a, um, a predisposition to severe illness uh, if, if they are infected, if they do um, uh, progress with COVID-19, if they do have COVID-19 illness. So that's, that's a really interesting question and area that I don't think we fully understand yet. Shifting gears a bit, Dr. Newman, I'd like to talk a bit about medications and use of medications in with diabetes and cardiovascular disease or increased risk of cardiovascular disease in the setting of COVID-19. To start with, we know many patients with diabetes take medications to help control blood pressure or to protect their kidneys. Do we know anything about these medications and their use in the setting of COVID-19? So that's a, a great, another great question. Um, we, there's been a lot of concern about medication use for patients uh, at risk for or with COVID-19 illness. And it's been recognized that the virus, the SARS coronavirus 2 in interfaces with a part of the, the system in our, the physiologic system called the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system that is involved with uh, blood pressure regulation and neural hormonal response and control to blood pressure, that the SARS virus um, uses a specific protein of this pathway to access cells and cells of the lungs in particular for infection. Um, certain medications called ACE inhibitors or um, angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitors or angiotensin uh, type receptor blocker type twos, ARBs, uh, interact with levels of this receptor. And there was concern that these agents may either potentiate 
infection or increased risk of infection or a progression of infection or potentially even be protective. Um, but I can tell you now that the sort of totality of current evidence, including some work that we're doing here at NYU and, and I'm sure that's ongoing at other institutions, suggests that uh, this is not the case and that these medications, these class of medications like ACE inhibitors for blood pressure or for um, protecting the kidney for, for people with diabetes, um, they have well-established benefits for diabetes and that statements from the American Heart Association, uh, the American College of Cardiology and others recommend continuing these medications, the RAS inhibitors like ACE inhibitors and ARBs in the COVID-19 pandemic. But we recognize that we need to know more about what's going on and potential medication interactions. But as of now, I would say that the consensus is to continue these medications um, during the, you know, during this this ongoing pandemic. Great, thanks, Dr. Newman. I think this is a very hot area uh, of research uh, that we're looking into currently overall, and it's yeah. very helpful to know that that as far as we know currently, um, there's no contraindication to using RAS or renin angiotensin um, aldosterone system inhibitors in the setting of COVID-19, as far as we currently know. Yes, I, I, I agree, as far as we know right now. What about other medications uh, that we use to lower heart disease risk in diabetes, uh, such as statins? Is there anything right. we should know about using statins in the setting of people with diabetes and COVID-19? Yeah, it's, it's an, another really interesting issue. And, and as you know, the use of statins is really foundational for management of people with diabetes and lowering cholesterol, uh, whether or not you've already had established heart disease or established cardiovascular disease in, in you know, system-wide. Um, there's very limited data that statins may in fact be uh, protective for viral infections or bacterial respiratory infections, regardless of your diabetes status, but the data is very limited. But I think more conclusively is that there's no signal of harm, meaning you, as a, as a potential person with diabetes, with or without a history of heart disease, statins are very beneficial over the long term to reduce your risk of vascular complications. And they don't appear to increase your risk at all for any respiratory or viral infections, COVID-19 related or otherwise. So that's another clear one, that clear medication that we really should continue and, and continue to sort of monitor, but certainly to continue during this burden of COVID-19 illness. Um, I would also add that, as, as you know, there's a potential for um, anti-inflammatory properties of statins that may give some other benefit for COVID-19 or other, um, other infectious etiologies. But again, we don't have clear evidence to suggest that there's a, an additional benefit, but, but uh, certainly no risk of continuing these medications currently. Um, maybe I can start to ask you some, some questions, Li Xing, as I know you're really an expert in, in a lot of the use of glucose-lowering medications for our patients with diabetes. Um, you know, as, as you asked initially, that we know that glucose control may be important in reducing the likelihood of infection severity. Um, what do we know about using medications to control glucose 
for patients with diabetes um, in the setting of COVID-19. Is there anything you can tell us about things we should be aware of that providers and patients should think of as, as they continue to uh, care for their patients? Sure, Jonathan. I think this is an important and very relevant question as many people with diabetes and COVID-19 are going to require adjustments to their diabetes medications should they um, contract and, and have to deal with COVID-19. As you know, generally, oral glucose-lowering medications should be held in most patients who have uh, any sort of prolonged poor oral intake and acute illness. So in particular, metformin is contraindicated in patients with impaired or compromised renal function or with hemodynamic instability due to the incre increased risk of lactic acidosis. Mm. Also, sulfonylureas, which many patients with diabetes are on, can, can cause hypoglycemia in patients with poor oral intake as well. And in many cases, in the setting of acute illness, decreased oral intake should, should be held. I think a particularly relevant area for us to talk about is SGLT2 inhibitors and GLP-1 receptor agonists, uh, because many patients with diabetes and known or increased cardiovascular risk are taking these medication classes, given the recent robust evidence from cardiovascular and renal outcome trials and increasing guidance from the AHA and other professional societies to use these agents, given their known benefits in this population over the past several years. Mm -hmm. So regarding SGLT2 inhibitors in particular, um, I've been counseling patients um, in particular to hold them, generally speaking, in the setting of acute illness and decreased oral intake, as they can cause ketosis and a risk of dehydration or volume contraction. In particular, SGLT2 inhibitor use in certain settings has been associated rarely, uh, but there's a known association with diabetic ketoacidosis or DKA. Uh, in some cases of acute illness or surgery. And interestingly, this can occur at uncharacteristically mild to moderate levels of hyperglycemia. Sometimes we call it euglycemic decay because it's not the type of glucose, high glucose levels above 500 or so that we're used to seeing. Sometimes it's more like glucose levels even in the 200s or 250s, and we're still seeing frank DKA. Um, I know in, in our hospital, uh, even over the past two weeks, we've seen several cases of DKA and euglycemic DKA in patients with type 2 diabetes and COVID-19. So I do think that this is something that's important for us to watch out for. Personally, I've been telling my patients on SGLT2 inhibitors that if they get sick or if their oral intake drops, and certainly in the setting of COVID-19, um, to hold their SGLT2 inhibitors until they're back to baseline. Regarding GLP-1 receptor agonists, mm -hmm. um, these can cause nausea, they can cause gastrointestinal symptoms, and they can suppress appetite as well. And so generally speaking, um, these should be held in the setting of acute illness and decreased oral intake as well. Mm. I think it's an interesting balance overall. Certainly, um, if patients are feeling well, um, I think these medications are, have really powerful and promising benefit in the setting of um, cardiovascular and renal risk reduction. Um, but certainly in the setting of uh, if patients are dealing with either a significant decreased oral intake or acute illness in the setting of COVID-19, they should be aware that they, uh, they need to be vigilant about either dose reducing or stopping some of these medications. I think as clinicians, uh, these, this is something that we um, can effectively counsel patients about. I'll comment too, Jonathan, I think um, the current evidence suggests that overall in hospitalized patients with COVID-19, mm -hmm. that insulin is probably going to be the most prudent option for glycemic management, especially in cases of acute illness or critical illness. Um, as is the case, generally speaking, in acute or critical illness in hospitalized patients with diabetes. 
Mm -hmm. That's that's really helpful. I mean, I think whether it's for the data I think we have now for RAS inhibition and statin use um, seems to be more on the side of continuing, even though the benefit there is more long-term. And I think as you're illustrating with the glucose-lowering medications, we need to be more cautious given the changes in oral intake and the effects on uh, you know, acute metabolic effects in the setting of uh, acute illness and use of these agents with more long-term established cardiovascular benefits, certainly for, as you're illustrating or describing with the SGLT2 inhibitors and the CLIP1s. Um, that, that's really helpful. And I, I, we, we too have seen some cases of, as you described, the uh, euglycemic DKA um, for patients that are on SGLT2 inhibitors who have come into the hospital, both prior to the sort of COVID-19 uh, pandemic and, and uh, ongoing. So it's, it's really a relevant point that I think people need to keep in mind as they think about their, their medical care as, as um, the days move forward. Um, so what, what can you, do you have any suggestions that you can tell our audience about um, recommendations to patients about controlling my, my diabetes and heart disease risk but also staying safe from COVID-19. It's, it's a real balance, a real change in you know, recommendations for, let's say, patients going to cardiac rehab or to the gym regularly to exercise. Uh, how, how are you counseling patients about you know, continuing good lifestyle modification to minimize their risks and control their, help control their diabetes in the setting of COVID-19? Jonathan, I think this is a key question um, for all the patients that we're seeing on a regular basis who are not who have not developed COVID nineteen, but who have to deal with all the effects of social distancing and this new reality for uh, the upcoming foreseeable future. Um, obviously, COVID nineteen has caused upheaval in nearly every part of our lives, from social interactions to diet to what we put in our mouths to exercise to sleep to stress levels. And all of these can impact diabetes and heart disease, as we well know, and often in very negative ways. Um, I wanted to focus at, on, at least on the diet and exercise aspects of COVID-19 life uh, nowadays. In terms of diet, what I've noticed um, is kind of two major changes in eating patterns in patients um, in this COVID-19 era. The first is a decreased flexibility in access to food. Um, given social distancing, I'm seeing a lot of people obviously aren't able to go to the grocery store as often as they like and hence the quality and the variety in their diets is taking a big hit. Um, mm -hmm. The second is changes in food intake. So for example, um, grazing and increased snacking with people being at home, being near the fridge or being near the pantry. We've heard comments about people, quote unquote, gaining the COVID-19 or gaining 19 pounds or just gaining <laughs> weight overall in the setting of all these changes. And I think this is something that's important for us as clinicians to, um, to be proactively mm -hmm. asking patients about. And, thinking through with them, what are behavioral changes that they uh, need to be thinking about making? Uh, what are changes in practical changes in cooking and food selection that they can mm -hmm. make from their more limited uh, availability? Um, and then also, again, those behavioral modifications in terms of um, what, what is triggering them to graze, what is triggering them to snack and thinking about ways to avoid that. Yeah, that, those are really important points, especially, I think, as we're learning, uh, you know, you alluded to sleep disruption and stress. I mean, all of the kind of downstream effects of some of the physical distancing. Um, and those are really interesting 
perceptions that you've made and described eloquently about changes in diet and food behavior in general. I think that's that's a very interesting question. I personally, I've um, in New York City, which has really been an epicenter of COVID nineteen, as you know. Um, for my own sanity of trying to maintain my physical activity, I tend to go early in the morning to exercise in the park and physical distancing usually at that hour of the day is pretty easy to do, but certainly later in the day, it can become more challenging and there's a, some you know, concern about how best to protect oneself and, and others um, with social distancing policies. So those, that was really helpful. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, especially about the physical activity. I've been proactively asking patients, who are you doing to stay physically active in these times? And been getting a lot of different answers. There's one camp of patients who are actually finding themselves being much more physically active than usual because they have free time to, and the luxury of exercise machines or other things in, in their homes to use, or they're able to go on more walks outside while still maintaining social distancing if they do have more public access. And there's another large camp of patients who are much more sedentary than they even usually are. And for those, I think being proactive in, um, in making recommendations or really asking them, how are you staying active is helpful. I'd, mm -hmm. I'd say anecdotally for me personally, Jonathan, I actually was thinking about this and I, I bought a jump rope. I haven't jump roped oh, in yep. 20 years. And I've been <laughs> jump roping several times a week and just thinking about new ways of exercising that I think are really helpful to give ideas to patients and to really speak from our own experience as well. I think that's really resonating. It's, but it I'm a, that's a great one. I'm a firm believer in, in jump rope. I actually, a couple of years ago, I've started, started doing that. And um, it is an easy way to get some physical activity in the hectic lives that we all lead now even more so. As you're recommending is, and, and identifying, kind of personalizing some of the preventive recommendations to the current uh, environment is really important. And, and that's, that's, that's really helpful to hear. Um, so um, I guess we've, we've gotten through most of our questions, Dia. Um, should we proceed to the call to action or yes. what would, okay. Um, so maybe I'll, make a couple points here as a call to action. And then uh, my colleague, Dr. Chang can also um, chime in and, and reiterate anything um, uh, and emphasize. Um, so COVID-19 is a high risk, rapidly evolving medical crisis. And given the cardiovascular risk for patients with diabetes, with or without established or known heart disease or vascular disease, along with some of the emerging data we have about the cardiovascular effects of COVID-19, the intersection of the dual epidemics as we're causing it, calling it of COVID-19 and diabetes really warrants careful attention, monitoring, and personalized treatment decisions. And with integration of the data and the work that we're doing, we can strive to improve outcomes and care for all our patients through the COVID-19 epidemic. A few closing thoughts. Dr. Chang, anything that you'd like to close with? I think as we know, John, this is, is still a very rapidly evolving area of, of research. And so uh, as far as we best know, just to summarize, we can still continue to use uh, RAS inhibitors and statins in, the, in these settings. But I totally agree with your uh, key recommendation to individualize care, especially with things like glucose-lowering regimens in patients with diabetes and just really being uh, responsive to patients' um, needs and unique situations at this time, especially about lifestyle counseling and changes.
That's terrific. Um, I would like to remind our audience to please return online to the AHA Professional Heart Daily for additional podcasts that are planned and ongoing for this series, which include COVID-19 and stroke, pulmonary hypertension, and other concurrent or risk factors for heart disease during this really disruptive time in our delivery of healthcare. The views expressed here do not necessarily reflect the official policies or positions of the American Heart Association and American Stroke Association. For more information, please visit us at professional.heart.org.